0: Let's pray together, please. Lord, I praise you for that truth. I praise you the truth that we are a child of you. You've created us, you've sustained us, you've blessed us. You seek a relationship with you. And Lord, as we look to even um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you continue to work in people's lives as you do today. I just pray that you would, your spirit would open our hearts and uh, help us understand how that works, and what's our purpose, and, and just all the significance for that. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, when I started here at Is that A Free, I was a youth pastor. And there was a youth pastor over at uh, Crystal Free, now New Hope Free, whose name was Dick Dietrich. And Dick was a great guy, had a huge heart for music, huge heart for missions. Um, so he was there quite a while while I was here, and we uh, interacted quite often. But then he moved to Arizona, and I hadn't heard about Dick for a while. And so while he was in Arizona, he uh, ended up going on a mission trip, and taking he would bring music groups and singing groups over to Poland. And so it just fit his heart, and, and uh, coincidentally, one time he decided, you know, I know the town that my wife's family is from in Poland, and I realized that's not far from where I am. And so I'm going to swing in and see if they have maybe a, you know, a history or a family tree or maybe a family crest um, that I could surprise my wife with. And this is an absolute true story, ladies and gentlemen. So um, he went in, stopped in the town, went to the, the city official uh, offices and said, hey, I'm, my wife is from this family and I'm wondering if I can get this Family Crest or Family Tree. And the guy said, what's the name? And he told him, and he goes, well, just a second. So he goes in the back, comes back a couple minutes later and goes, yeah, the mayor's on this way. Oh. So, and now I'm going to read from a, a news article just to continue the story. Upon walking into the city hall of Zary, Poland, Richard's query, and so Dick Bostrom, or Dick Bostrom, Dick Bostrom fixed our, fixed our computers 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> this is not a good sign for you, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. Dick Dietrich, who is the man I'm talking about, whose name, obviously, is Richard as well. Um, so uh, let me start over. Upon walking into the city of Zary, Poland, strangely enough, Richard's quarry was met with a shocking discovery to both Richard and the city officials. Unknown to Richard, his wife is the direct descendant of the Royal von Promnitz family, who were thought to have been scattered and extinguished, extinguished centuries before. Upon this discovery, the city en- engineer of Zary apologized to Richard, saying... I'm sorry, but we just sold your palace a few months ago. <laughs> True story. Palace? I'm just here to get a copy of our family tree, Richard said in disbelief. The engineer replied, sir, sir, Poland is a country of laws, and you are of the royal family von Prominence. Whatever has your family's name on it belongs to you. And literally, they went and bought back several castles and palaces and that kind of thing because it belonged to that family. And they needed to give it back to them. So picture Dick Dietrich, who was still Dick Dietrich at that time, not Richard anymore. Um, He's standing there as a youth pastor from Arizona going, wait a minute, what is going on? He's there on a mission trip. Now he finds out he's part of a royal family. Now he finds out he and his wife own castles and palaces and things like that. He was eventually knighted. And now he, has, now he has to obviously go by the name of Richard, because you can't be Dick Dietrich. So it's now Sir Richard. So when he was here for a meeting recently, we were talking to him, and we kept having to call him Sir Richard just to practice. But has his own coin. He pulled out his coin, and here's my Sir Richard coin. And one of my favorite parts of the story is he has to report to other countries when he travels through them. And so when he goes to Poland, oftentimes he'll fly, like, to London. So he needs a report that as royalty, he's traveling through the country in case the queen wants to invite him for tea or something. (laughs) How great is that? (laughs) And understand, I I was this little youth pastor back in the day. Dick Drecher was the little youth pastor back in the day. God is using him in amazing ways and has a purpose for his life now that is completely different than he could have imagined. It's certainly completely different than the purpose he is calling me to. So, continuing that I know of, you never know. (laughs) Continuing the story, the Polish government was thrilled to welcome Richard and his family, now heirs of a sort, back to Poland. Richard, now a count and knighted this past year, was invited to bring music to Poland as the von Promnitz family had done in the 1700s. For the past 10 years, Richard has led mission trips throughout Poland featuring Christian musicians who played to tens of thousands of people throughout the summer months. And because the the prominent's name is on many of the Catholic cathedrals, Protestant churches, and schools in the region, Richard has access to preach the gospel without compromise in these facilities. So as we talk about what's in a name, there are places in the world and still some places in the United States who your name is significant. And now, because he's part of that non-prominence name, he literally can show up at any school he wants to, any organization he wants to, and says, yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. I'd like to talk. And he can go in and talk about Jesus. He's actively trying to figure out how in the world do I use palaces and castles and things like that to... um, promote the gospel and what a challenge, huh? (laughs) But many times, um, so this is a, you know, the last several weeks we've been talking about name changes and what's in a name. And several times in the Bible, God takes, chooses people and says, this is your name and I'm going to change it to, to a something different because I have a new calling or additional calling or purpose for your life. Today we're going to look at a couple people just from a high level that had their name changed not by God, necessarily, but by circumstances and things that they were involved in, and culture. And we're going to look at quickly the story of Daniel and Esther. And I'm clearly not going to do, both of Daniel and Esther have their own book in the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to go home and read the, the book of Daniel, read the book of Esther, because there's fabulous stories in there that we're just not going to be able to touch on today. If you understand the Old Testament, the God God of the Bible came in the Old Testament and said, "I'm going to establish a covenant with Israel, and you will be my people. And you'll be obedient to me, and I'll be your God, you'll be my people." Well, Israel occasionally thought started thinking they were in charge instead of God was in charge and were disobedient, and several times God would allow other countries and surrounding countries then to rule over Israel and take dominion over them. Now some of the people that did that said, okay, I'm in charge of Israel now, you just stay where you're doing whatever, you're just giving your money and stuff to me and your your honor and things, but effectively we're going to leave you there. There's other countries like Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, which we'll read about in a second, that said, no, I'm going to take all of the, the leaders, some of the leaders and stuff, and move them to Babylon with me. And it breaks down that culture thing. It breaks down the fight that they have because pretty soon they don't remember as well what Israel was like. And so there's a couple different strategies on that and bringing in uprisings. And so when Daniel was one of those people that was taken to Babylon and Daniel, um, his name in Hebrew means God is my judge. And so he's a great Hebrew leader and a, a faithful God follower. And so when he went to um, Babylon, they said, no, we're going to change your name to Belteshazzar. Now, Belteshazzar means Baal, which is a pagan god, protect the king. And I think it's a great description of Daniel's life. Because his life, his original name said, hey, I'm going to serve God. God is the ruler. God is my judge. And he went into a culture that said, hey, the king is number one. And throughout his life, he had people continuing to say, you got to serve the king. You got to bow to the king. The king is our God. We're going to serve him. And that struggle was is really the definition of Daniel's life and his experiences and um, all the things that he went through. And today I want you to think about a couple of implications as we read a lot of these verses of, you know, that realize God is at work. Now, Kevin Meyer, our lead pastor, has been saying this for a long time, God is at work, God is at work. And so I'm going to steal that point today and say God is at work, because he is. He was at work in Babylon, he's at work today. And so we want you to think about that and and encourage you to think about that. And then that God gives us a purpose. We have a reason to be here. Daniel and Esther had a reason to be there. And as much as they were leaders and and powerful and that kind of thing, and maybe we aren't as leaders and powerful, um, we all have a purpose, and we'll touch on that as well. And oftentimes through the different times and different cultures, um, both Daniel and and Esther were exiled exiled Jews in Babylon. And so we pick up the story of Daniel in Daniel in the first chapter, first verse. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now Judah and Israel are different parts. There's a history there of Israel. I'm going to use Judah and Israel interchangeably today um, because I can. But um, um, basically it's the country of Israel or part of the country of Israel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple, of, um, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his god in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his god. And so, not only would he take people from Israel and the conquered countries to his Babylonia, but he would also take treasures from their temple and say, I'm going to put these treasures in my temple because my God is bigger than your God. Nebuchadnezzar, not so much a subtle man. Picking up in verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, which is a fabulous name, let's be honest. Ashpenaz. I love it. Chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Among those who sh- were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. And those may sound familiar to many of you, because there's some fun kids' stories and stuff, and, um, God used them in amazing ways. And so what happens is Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I want all the sharpest guys from that other country to come and they're going to learn and they're going to be leaders in my country as well. And so you're going to go through some training and they're in that training and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Go home and read the story. It's a fabulous story. He has a dream and so he brings in all of his wise men and sorcerers and fortune tellers that he relied on for wisdom and he says to them, I had a dream, I need you to interpret it. Happened all the time. Well, they come in and go, okay, king, tell us what the the dream was and we'll interpret it for you. And the king goes, no, you're trying to trick me. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Well, they start going crazy and going, well, no one can do that. That, That's just not how it works. You tell us the dream, we tell you the interpretation. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to do it that way. And just as a punishment, if you can't do it that way, I'm going to kill all the wise men in Babylonia. Kings often use that power of threat of just, I'm going to destroy you if you can't do exactly what I want or you don't do exactly what I want. So you realize the story here is Daniel's coming up, Daniel and his buddies are in the, this training and they realize if somebody in their, their group, either the Jews that were being trained or the Babylonian wise men and things that were already there, if they can't come up with his dream, they're all dead. So we pick up the story in Daniel two seventeen through 25. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylonia. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning he reveals deep and hidden things he knows what lies in darkness and lights walls in him i thank and praise you god of my ancestors you have given me wisdom and power you have made me known you have made known to me what we asked of you you have made known to us the dream of the king and so God gives this vision to Daniel and Daniel understands it, goes to Nebuchadnezzar, explains it to him, and Nebuchadnezzar is so moved because nobody can do this. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar must have known that. But he did that and and Daniel attributes that to God. And then we pick the story up in Daniel 2.46, when Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, is responding. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before uh, Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Understand, this is the leader that said, you know, Israel, you're done. You're coming to me. We're going to train you up in our ways. We're going to take your temple, um, nice temple things and put them in ours so that you're, you're our God. And by the way, you're going to serve, we're going to give you new names like Baal protect the king because it's all about the king. This is the king who's saying, "No." Your God is the God of gods. Your king is the king of kings. God is at work. And so then Nebuchadnezzar has another vision that's bad news for Nebuchadnezzar. It's that he's going to go crazy and be insane for several years. And so Daniel comes and is a little frightened to go, yeah, I, I can tell you the dream. You're not going to like it. And he says, okay. And then he tells him he's going to go insane. And he does. And then God raises Nebuchadnezzar back up. And we pick up the story again, showing in Daniel four thirty four. Um, after Nebuchadnezzar comes back from his insanity problems. In verse 34, "At at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. You see the similarities? Daniel, who grew up serving God and has a faithfulness for God, a confidence for God, Is saying the same thing as now Nebuchadnezzar is saying, as he experienced him, because God is doing things. Verse thirty-five: All the people in the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, "What have I? What have you done?" Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is right, and all His ways are just. And those walk in pride, He is able to humble. I encourage you, read the book of Daniel. It's an amazing thing. Because Daniel serves in a culture that says God is dead. And virtually, basically, he serves there as a slave. Even though he was one of the wise men and things, he was a slave that was brought from Israel. And this continues in in countries around the world today and even in America where we oftentimes lament, uh, you know, are we a post-Christian country? You know, yeah, we celebrated Independence Day, but are we really independent because we can't share our faith like we want to? And oftentimes we get stuck in that and we forget that God is moving. And we forget that we have a God who in Nebuchadnezzar's time, in Daniel's time, took the king of the most powerful country in the existence and said... I want you to acknowledge me. And so oftentimes we see that. Um, we see that in the story of Sir Richard, uh, Dick Dietrich, who goes and God's using him in amazing ways. And he, you can't plan that stuff. It's God putting his finger and saying, I want you to do this. One of the things that, other things that came to mind as I was talking with Cy and things this week and talking, thinking about the Chinese ministry um, Camp Shamina is our free church camp, our denominational camp, just up in Motley, Minnesota, just north here, a couple hours. And um, they, one year, several years ago, had a Chinese officials came to Camp Shamina and said, we would like you to build a camp in China. And Herb Bloomquist, who's the leader of the, or director of the camp, Shamana, who is celebrating their 60th anniversary today and this weekend, by the way. So uh, Shamana's been around a long time God. And not only is God doing some cool things, I don't know another place in my life where God does, for whatever reason, he takes Shamanah and touches that place. And people experience him in amazing ways. Now I'm biased, I was on the board, and I'm you know a youth pastor that I bring kids there, that kind of thing. But um, in my bias, it's true that God does those things. <laughs> so years ago... God or uh, the Chinese officials came to to uh, Shamana and said, "We'd like you to build a camp in China." And Herb, who's the director, said, "You know, we talk to people about Jesus. In fact, not only do we talk to people about Jesus, that's really the reason we exist." And they said, "Yep, we understand that. We are a country of single." child families, and we really struggle with our children knowing how to interact with people, so we'd like to try this camp thing that you guys do, and we've seen some neat things, so we'd like you to come and build a camp in China. And you'll let us tell people about Jesus? Yep. As long as you can bring come and do that camp. So the Chinese government gave Camp Shamina in Motley, Minnesota land in China, and said, come and build a camp. What? <laughs> God is moving, ladies and gentlemen. He did that in Daniel's time. We'll see that in Esther's time. But he does that in our time. And so several years they were, ran camps in China. And then the government came and said, okay, we're done. And there was some real lament and sadness about, boy, we really thought this was going to have an impact. And yet now several years later, I uh, contacted Herb this week and said, will you remind me what the details are because he shares the story so much better than I do. So uh, I want to read a note from Herb. And this is basically what's the implication of those people that were at Shamana East, which was what it's called for obvious reasons. Um, so Shamana and Motley started Shamana East, and then Shamana East closed up. And since that time, um, this is a note from Herb, there are about 12 camps that we are actively involved in, in China, as well as an annual training of up to 200 Christian camp leaders who have officially begun the Chinese Christian Camp Conference. There's a Chinese Christian camp conference because of a little dinky camp in northern Minnesota that said, okay, if you, the Chinese government, who's not a big fan of Jesus, tells them, come and, you know, come and tell people about Jesus because you have something we need. And then it continues, these guys believe there are over 1,000, yep, 1,000, and his note literally says, yep, a 1,000 Christian camps operating in China. Most small, and for only one week of summer. But that's pretty impressive. And that was his words, not mine. And so you understand that the Chinese government not only came to Camp Shamanan and said, we want you to start a camp, but he, they came along and said, we're going to stop that. And God has continued to do some things and basically spread them out. And so in this year, they estimate there are a thousand camps, some of them just a week. And so picture, we have VBS, preschool VBS this week, where 70, 80 kids are coming to hear about Jesus. There's a camp like that happening with adults and kids and youth and whoever in China a thousand times. That's three a day. God is at work. And we see Chinese students, and I wish I could spend the whole time talking about how great the Chinese group is here. The impact that those leaders have the impact that they, again, side so I don't know if you picked it up, that they help us with getting driver's license, they help us with holidays, they help us with housing, they help us with all these things. And we talk about Jesus, and most of them, many of them, are, have not really been exposed to, to Jesus or are familiar with him. We also have a couple right now from our church that is in China learning and looking at new ministries. And unfortunately, I can't remember if I'm supposed to say their name On the live stream and things, there's some (laughs) privacy things. So there's just a young couple from our church that's in China right now. If you'd like to know their names, I will share that with you in person and private. And I can tell you all about their ministry. But they're there now. She grew up in this youth ministry and said, God is calling me to China. Um, There's another, Doug Samuelson was a friend of mine back way back when I first started, who many of you probably don't know, who he and his wife are now the directors of um, Teen Challenge in China. Same Teen Challenge here. He was involved in Teen Challenge. God called him to China. And that's just China, ladies and gentlemen. And we threw in a little Poland with Dick Dietrich. But but Daniel had an incredible impact on his whole culture simply because he was obedient to God. And he was in a culture that said, you can't do anything with God, just like we are in Chinese culture, just like we are in the Poland culture can be sometimes that way, just like the American culture can be sometimes that way. God is big and God is doing stuff. And so if we look at, switch over to Esther, um, now her name is a little more tricky to understand because Daniel is clear, but Esther, um, it's, and we'll read this in a second as well, but her Hebrew name was Hadassah, which means compassion or myrtle tree, which basically signifies caring or beauty. Now Esther is a little less clear because it means star or maybe it have been derived from a name of an eastern goddess. And it's also not cl- exactly clear why Esther has both names. And so we go by Esther. We don't refer to her as Hadassah. Um, and so it's intri- intriguing that Daniel, we use the Hebrew word name, and, and Esther, we use the name that we assume is the Babylonian name. And so it just... Uh, I'm. And people have different reasons for that or different explanations for that. One is simply, it's Esther is like the Chinese-American names where the Chinese students just pick a new name because it's easier for pe- Americans to understand. That could be why Esther goes by that name. Um, there is others that we'll hear later that um, Esther downplayed her Jewish roots and her, her heritage. And so Esther might have been a simpler name to use without pointing that out. And we're not real sure. But either way, I think if you read the story of Esther, and we'll read a little piece of it here, it suits God perfectly that the queen of Persia, because Esther became the queen, the queen of Persia, the most powerful nation at the time, was an orphan and a displaced Jew. God is moving. God does stuff. And we're only looking at thousands of years ago because they're in the Bible and they're great stories, but he does those things today. And so we'll um, pick up Esther's story in Esther 2, starting in verse 5. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who is also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. And so, King Xerxes, who's the king at the time, who came after Nebuchadnezzar, um, he got basically ticked at his wife and said, brought his wise men and said, What should I do about this? And his, the wise men said, Just pick another one. You're the king. So he went and said, I want you to bring all the potential women to, who could be queen to my castle, and we're going to train them up, and and I'll choose a new queen. And at that time, in Esther 2, 10 through 11, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. And so during that time also, Esther is... taken to the, to the um, palace training thing to see if she can become the next queen. Mordecai is all worried about her. You know, she's a Jew. They've downplayed that. They haven't told anybody that, really that she's a Jew. And so during that time, there's a guy that gets ticked at Mordecai and says, I don't like Mordecai and I don't like the Jews and I think I can get the king to kill all the Jews. And so he goes to the king and the king says, says an edict that at a certain date, all the Jews will be killed. Well, Mordecai hears this and says, goes to communicates to Esther, you realize you're a Jew and you're going to die if we all die. You're going to die as well. And the fact that you're queen isn't going to help you out. Um, and so we pick that up uh, in Esther 4, verse 15 through 17. When faced with the death, oh, sorry, this is my phrase. This isn't the Bible yet. Um, but when faced with death, Esther basically had to ch- make a choice. If she did nothing, she would die because the Jews would be killed. If she approached the king, the rule was if the king didn't call you and you approached him without being called, he, and he didn't want to acknowledge you, then you, you were killed for that as well. So she was faced with the idea of doing nothing and being killed or going to the king and potentially being killed. And so this is where we pick up the, uh, in Esther 4. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews, her and Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast, as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, in a famous phrase, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all Esther's instructions. Both Daniel and Esther are great examples of the courage and the faithfulness of following God in spite of the fact that repeatedly they're going to get killed. Because they're slaves, because they're Jews, because they're not uh, serving the king correctly, they're not laying down their life for their king, all of those things, because they're choosing to serve God. And both of them, along with Daniel's buddies and things, there's phrases they say all the time, I'm going to do this because God will protect me, and if he doesn't, I'm still going to do it, because my faith in God is significant enough that if I perish, I perish, I <laughs> perish. And I'd also like to point out t- both times in Daniel, he went to his friends and said, we're in trouble here. This king is going to kill us because we can't do what he wants us to do. Come with me and pray with me as a community and ask God to change that. And Esther comes and says, Mordecai, go with your buddies, get everybody together who knows God and pray for this that we, won't, that we will live. I think that community piece is huge. And you'll hear a lot in the next, you know, several months, several years of things like the dinners of eight are simply to help us get together and know who we are. We'll emphasize community groups or basically small groups that say, yeah, this is a time for us to get together to have a group of people that we can pray for and dissect a little bit our lives and, and walk through hard times and kind of heal some of the gross stuff in our background and, and celebrate some of the new stuff that we experience in God. And that happens in community, even for people like ben, uh, Daniel and Esther. And so basically, Esther talks to the king, and the lives of the Jews are spared. Go read the book of Daniel and Esther, they're fascinating. But there's an amazing confidence that Daniel and Esther have, that I think we can have today, that comes into God's presence and says, God, you are a God, you are the awesome people you are the king of the of everything you direct us our path you are are, who are we to to be a part of that and that you have honored us to be able to glorify you and that leads me to my second point of God gives us a purpose because not only is God moving God gives us a purpose now, Daniel and Esther were a little biased because they're, you know, they're good looking, they're smart, they're wise. We all know people like that. some of you are people like that, but uh, we all know people like that. Some of you, you know yourself, that get that's part of the the ability you have to impact others. But the beauty of the Bible is that's not a prerequisite. You don't have to be attractive. You don't even have to be smart. You just have to be available. And God gives each of us a purpose for experiencing Him. And I want to encourage that because most of the time when we start talking purpose, it often goes to, I think I should be rich. I think I should do some justice stuff. I think maybe I should have some power, I sh- maybe some significance, maybe some su- success. My purpose is to have me be successful. And even as I got in my car this morning, I turned it on in the radio for the first three minutes before I changed the station, it was all about you make your choices. Other people are going to screw that up. Your purpose is to make you highlighted. And I think if we look at Daniel and Esther and look at the Bible throughout, the purpose is never for us to be highlighted. And so one of the ways that that has impacted me, um, in early June, we did a survey here at Wayzata Free. And we were spread out all over the place. Um, well, the one thing I did is I went with Jim and Raquel Bloom. And Jim and Raquel Bloom are, are uh, missionaries in the Phillips neighborhood, which is the, one of the most poverty areas in the area and doing some really neat things in a in a service and a ministry opportunity we've supported them for years uh jim actually grew up in this church um jim and his brother john are both pastors missionaries um we have several the bloom family name um is runs through the history of why is that a free church quite a bit and significantly and so jim is a kind of part of that tradition and part of that history And so we did, as part of what we were doing with Jim and Raquel, they gave us a tour and we went through Minneapolis and we talked about the significant people who set up this country and came in at Fort Snelling and they went across the Minneapolis and they did all this, all the significant things that they did. But he also talked about for a number of people that you know that did that and would have names that you recognize, there were thousands and thousands of other people that came and just lived and died and developed, and we reap the benefit of that, and the city reaps the benefit of that, and the area does, and we don't really know who those people are. And so we were standing at the side of a cemetery, which I didn't know existed, or the back half of the cemetery I didn't know existed, and there's all of these um, stones, headstones, and many of them have no name, and they have no idea who that is. And Jim made the quote that um, I I thought was really significant and has stuck with me since then. He says, the Bible says that we are vapors. And it's a good thing God uses vapors. Because he talked about the theology of place. And so, effectively, if you haven't heard of theology of place, it's just simply a belief in God that God puts you in a place and that's where you should be serving. And if God calls you to another place, then that's where you serve. And so the idea, and I apologize for the theologians that I'm not... Dissecting the intricacies of this theology, but um, but it basically says where God put you, that's where you should serve. And so Jim said, you know, this is people come and serving, and so they're in the Phillips neighborhood because God gave them that call and that purpose to serve that ministry in that neighborhood. So standing there, he said that, and and it just struck me how how incredibly insignificant some people's lives are, and yet. Or seem to be, and yet how incredibly impact they have. And so he quoted the book of James. So Jim quoted James, trying to keep up. Um, But the book of James in four said, "Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life?" You're a mist, or a vapor in some translations, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So I brought a visual today because I really like visuals. To to show this as an example... Because as I said, when Jim talked about it being a vapor, I talked to my friend, um, Rob Compton, who literally is a rocket science scientist, he's a really smart guy, so he's smarter than me, and I said, you know, um, Rob, I, I need a way to show a vapor. And he said, well, these scientists have developed this thing called a paint sprayer, so you put paint in this little can, and it sprays out as a vapor. And I said, that's exactly what I need. And so It works. It also works with water, which is a good thing. So, if you think about, the Bible tells us our life is a vapor. Now, I want to tell you, that the distinction for me is, our life is a vapor. It's a matter of how long it lasts. If you look at eternity, now, this is where you get into eternal life with Jesus and things, but the life we live today, on this earth, is a vapor. Because I've been involved in a number, too many funerals this year. Two of them, have, they died of old age. Several of them. Disease, trauma, tragedy. And so you look at that, and and the bummer of the fact that life is a vapor is the fact that life is a vapor. It's cool. It comes and it's kind of a big thing, and then it's just gone. And so often that's our life. And yet it's not insignificant, because one of my favorite life verses is Psalm 139 that says, you're knit together in your mother's womb, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a vapor in the length. You are not a vapor in significance. Do you see the difference there? Because it's really cool. Because you can be a vapor and it shows up and you're the vapor here and you're the vapor there. And that's... and, And God calls you to do something as a vapor. And as Jim said, life is a vapor. It's sure a good thing that God uses vapors. Because when you look at that, the goal is not celebrating the vapor. The goal is celebrating the fact that God works through us as a vapor. And so if you remember even um, Nebuchadnezzar's response to experiencing God in Daniel 4, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdoms endure from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what he pleases as with the power of heaven and the people of earth. So we have the opportunity as a vapor to serve God because God is a God of eternity and if you experience God and know him, he will give you that eternity. But we have a limited life on this earth. And so the challenge of that is, that's a really bummer. It's depressing that we're a vapor. You go to funerals and you go, yeah, I went to a party the other day that was the woman was 100 years old. How cool is that? Yeah, she's not going to make 200. We live in a finite world. And not very many of us are going to make 100. So that's the challenge, is how do we say... Hey, that was that's a good thing. That's all the... Uh, now I'm gone. And yet, the opportunity is God uses us even as a vapor. And the goal is not to celebrate the vapor, celebrate what we do. The goal is celebrate God using us as a vapor. Because our life is a vapor and it's a good thing that God uses vapors. And so the... The challenge I'd like to have you give you or the encouragement today is if you've figured out the purpose that why God has put you here, then keep doing that. Renew that passion for that. If you haven't figured that out, then I want to challenge you. Get in a community group, get in a a situation where you can put yourself in a position to be touched by God and God honors that and and brings that and says, hey, this is important and I'm going to use you for, for what I'm calling you to do. Because if we, like Daniel like Esther, if we have the courage and the confidence in our situation to say, yeah, I know it looks bad, but I got a God who's really big. I got a God who does some amazing things. And we sing songs like, if Jesus chose to surrender, then so will I. If we sing a song like, we're redeemed, we're chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am. That's the beauty of that because we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we are vapor all at the same time and so as a church we're imagining what we can do in this community if we serve God imagine what crazy stuff we can do and so we're doing things like serve day we didn't have church let's just go out and serve the community what a neat thing we're having picnics to say we want to get to know you we're, we're emphasizing community groups and, and challenging people and, and encouraging them and with God, together, we, not only do we need to recognize that God is moving and remember that, because sometimes it doesn't feel like it. There's lots of times in Daniel and Esther's life that didn't feel like they were moving. And yet, God does. So God is moving, and God has a purpose for you. And so each and every one of us is going to be different. Because the odds of me being Sir Richard Dietrich and having palaces and bringing music is Zero. Because Dick is gifted in music, Mike Brinkman is not. Now, if he wants to give me a palace, that would be fine. But it won't be for music. I can tell you, unless he does know, just, unless he does really miracles, then that would be the miracle. Um, but imagine with us what God can do if we know that God is working, acknowledge that, and we put ourselves in a position to touch, be touched by him. And we serve and we say, I have a purpose here. God uses vapors let me pray Lord you are an amazing God you are a God who centuries before took Nebuchadnezzar and the king who was the great seen as the great power in that time and brought him to the point where he's praising you and so Lord we praise you we thank you that our name is child of God Our name is redeemed. Our name is co-heirs with Jesus. If we follow Jesus, if we acknowledge him as our Savior and Lord. And so I pray that your spirit would work in our lives this week and bring us to that point. In your name I pray.